statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. Uh, I'm so excited to be back in the studio after a couple of weeks off for the holidays. It was uh, it was really wonderful, and I was itching to get back in and, and share some more stories. Uh, if you're listening and you'd like to learn the latest about what we're doing at Women to Watch, be sure to check out our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch. Net, N-E-T. And, and as always, follow us on our social media pages. Uh, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Women to Watch. Uh, lastly, if you're listening and you want to call into the show today and ask a question of our guest, we would love to hear from you. And you can dial 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. So I'm going to introduce you now to my very special guest who's with me in the studio. Um, I tried to encourage her to stay home and call in because we're going to have a nice storm. Uh, but fortunately, she's very nearby and was able to come in. Her name is Anna Greenwald, and Anna is the founder and CEO of On The Goga. Uh, which is uh, a wonderful company that uh, takes yoga into other companies and businesses uh, for the purpose of wellness. So I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to have you. And, and you know, I think you and I could probably talk all day about this topic, but um, we'll try to keep it, you know, condensed and and really um, have an opportunity for you to share your story and, and how you got to this place. Uh, so I understand you grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about your upbringing um, as, were you the middle of three or the oldest or youngest? I was the baby. You were the baby. I was the baby. Yeah. So talk about those, <laughs> talk about those years for a couple minutes. Sure. So uh, I actually was born just outside of Washington, D.C., and lived okay. there until I was about eight. Mm -hmm. And then my parents decided to move to Madison, Wisconsin. And as an eight-year-old who thought that she was a 16-year-old, the idea of moving from Washington, D.C. to Madison, Wisconsin, I thought to myself, oh, okay, boy. so we're going, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to be bored. Farmland <laughs> and no friends and right. so not cool. Uh, turned out to be the exact opposite. I love Wisconsin. I had such a great time growing up there. It's kind of the perfect place for kids under 16 because it's safe, wonderful. There's bike paths everywhere. And I just have these really lovely memories of biking around, walking around with friends all through the city, wandering around State Street. I mean, it's a college town, so there's okay. tons of stuff to do. Yeah. Can we picture it a little bit at, like Penn State's college town? I've actually never been to Penn State's oh, okay. college town. <laughs> when you said college town, that's what came to mind for me. Yeah. it's. Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, the best parts of Philly with the little restaurants and the little side streets, but mm. sat between two beautiful lakes. In the summer, it's 80 degrees and not humid. In the winter, mm. it's totally freezing, but it doesn't matter because everyone's used to it. The lakes freeze over. You can walk on them. Uh, ice skate. Ice skate. Yeah. There's so many things to do. They call them mountains, but there's hills you can ski on, <laughs> um, you know, 30 minutes away. And the nicest thing about it is 
you know, I didn't really miss it until I moved back to a city, but you can go out five minutes away from your house, which is in the middle of a town with all these different things to do, and just be in the country, be driving mm-hmm. down a country road, and there's still something really amazing about that. Yeah. That yeah. memory of just being able to get out with your 16-year-old friends and drive for you know an hour just looking at cornfields. Maybe that was my first mindful experience. Yeah, maybe you <laughs> did because you know it's open spaces, mm-hmm. right? It's complete opposite of city life. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I understand your mom was an attorney and your dad was an architect. Yes. And um, you know, talk a little bit about their influence um, in your. Uh, direction in life to to go in and uh, to go into music and become an aspiring singer? Uh, Well, my parents are probably the most supportive parents that a person could dream of having. Uh, My mom is amazing as a woman inspiration in my life. I mean, she put herself through Brown and then Harvard Law School, working three jobs at a time, uh, graduated. Yeah. And, you know, was this a lawyer and she met my father who he you know has done a million things in his life everything from poetry to starting his own business becoming a carpenter becoming an architect now he runs a hotel uh that he built so they they're just these really inspiring people and I remember from a very young age they always encouraged me and my brother and sister to do the things that made us joyful Mm. and I remember my dad saying you know my father used to say to me, never get stuck behind a desk. And I think that that really stuck with me. I mean, I loved singing, acting, being on stage. And I had this feeling of, you know, the best way that I can help people in this world is not going to be behind a desk. Mm. That's a great, you know, that's a great thing to learn at a young age to help you find your direction. Um, I, I was curious, you, you, went on to study music and get a business major as well, combined. And I think that's so smart. And I wondered if that came to you on your own or was that something somebody advised you to do? So it, it was a, a personal choice, but I think it's kind of, you know, when you when you know people whose parents are both doctors and they, they know a lot about medicine, right? My parents are both entrepreneurs yeah. and they're both self-made people. And so there was always a part of me that knew about this kind of approach of starting your own business or creating your own life. And Mm -hmm. so when I decided I wanted to do music and I wanted to be not just an opera singer who studied classically like I had been doing, but I want to make my own music and I want to be a musician. I want to be on stage. I thought to myself, Anna, if you're going to make this happen, you're going to make it happen. And so I wanted to learn, okay, what does a manager do? How do music venues work? How does the split go when you do a show? And how can you get your name out? And so it ended up being this amazing experience to study both music, music production, learning to be in the studio, and then actually learning grassroots marketing and and all of these things that would eventually feed into what I do now. Yeah, which is so ironic, isn't it? That you were thinking about that and look what you're doing today. Yeah, yeah. I think it, maybe there's no mistake. Maybe I was always destined to start my own business. Yeah. Uh, but I think that you know, the same passion that drove me to study music and business is the same passion that when I decided yoga was something that really inspired me and drove me, said, I'm going to start my own business around this. I'm going to start doing what I see that the world is kind of asking for. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go step back a little bit and talk about your years at Drexel, where you studied vocal performance. 
What is it like to be an aspiring singer and then go into a program like that and be surrounded by all of these other talented people and students? I'm really, that's a great question because that was something that I was wondering about when I applied. I mean, the process for getting into Drexel's music industry program is really competitive. And I was studying vocal performance at a boarding school and I was surrounded by all these talented people and I said, what is this gonna be like? But because the program I went into is actually a music industry program, I was one of several wonderful musicians of varying backgrounds. Mm. So there were a couple other female singers, but there were amazing guitar players. I remember this one kid in my class uh, could play the guitar because he saw colors on the guitar. He like mm. he had senses that were crossed, and it was amazing. But you also had people who they were there because they wanted to be managers, or they were there because they wanted to produce records. And mm-hmm. so it was this really amazing group of people with varied talents that okay. were really able to support each other. Yeah. So I guess there wasn't this feeling. Of, very often, people will talk about a kind of you know. Um, being successful at a young age and then you're surrounded by other people who are really successful and your confidence goes down a little bit because you think oh maybe I'm not as good as you know the person beside me yeah I mean I definitely have experienced that at times in my life I went to boarding school for vocal performance okay with I mean at Interlock and Arts Academy is one of the top places to go study if you're under college age for whether it's visual arts music uh, acting and so I when I was there, there were just amazingly talented people around me all the time. And I think that in that moment, whether you're 16 or whether you're 24, or whether you're 55, you know, you're going to be surrounded by other people who are wonderful. And that's a, a choice, right? You get to choose, is this going to make me feel like I can't do it? Or is this going to make me feel like I can, you know, figure out what my space is? And mm-hmm. I think that for me, one of the things I repeat to myself all the time, a personal mantra is if you're being yourself, you have no competition. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, because we talk about originality on this show all the time. If you're, we all are original. So if you're tapping into that, you're right. You, you, you have something completely different. There's no need to compare. Right. And yeah. if you think about it, you know, I listen to Ella Fitzgerald, and I listen to Regina Spector, and sometimes I'll listen to Miley Cyrus. So those are three very different female singers. Yeah, yeah. And they all are amazing. And so I think that that was something I was maybe forced into at a little younger age from being around all these talented people. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk about you suffered a vocal cord injury, and that was a very pivotal moment in your life. So I wonder if you can go there and and describe what happened. Tell us what happened and and where your mindset was. Yeah, so when I first got this vocal injury, it was terrifying because- What year was it and how old were you? So it was my junior year in college. So I would have been 19, no, yeah, 19 or 20. Okay. And I woke up one morning from just a night, I think it was like a concert or something, and I had a hoarse voice. And I was like, oh, maybe I was yelling too loud at the concert. And then I woke up the next day and my voice wasn't back. Mm. And I'm the type of person who my free time, I would be singing. I sing to my friends when I talk to them, (laughs) like to the point that people laugh about it. But um, I just love singing and I couldn't speak. And I thought something's wrong here. And so I ended up going to the doctor and it turned out that I had pre-nodes, which are vocal nodules. They can develop on your vocal cords and prevent them from 
working together in a way that produces sound normally and you kind of like a hoarse voice or whatever. It's the thing that Julie Andrews had where she had to get yes, surgery. Yeah. So I had the prerequisite for that. Okay. And so it was traumatizing almost because for me, it was like, hi, I'm Anna. This is what I look like. And I sing. Like it was as critical to my internal sense of self as what my face looked like or what the color of my eyes, you know? And so it was this very kind of jarring moment of what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to go from here. What is my future going to be? How's this going to change everything? If I don't have this, who am I? And that's what I do. Yeah. What I do. Was it something um, that uh, came about because of the singing or was it just um, DNA or in your genes? No, it was actually, yeah, it was acid reflux actually. (laughs) So, which is something a lot of people have. Yes. And something that unless you're a singer who goes to the your nose and throat doctor once a year to get your vocal cords checked, you might not even notice. But for me, uh, it affected the way that I was singing. Uh, And it had started and it went undiagnosed and so it started to affect my vocal cords and then your vocal cords are a muscle. So when they get affected by something like that, they try to compensate and then it creates all this tension in your throat and in your voice. And that was why when I got the injury, I actually was almost prescribed yoga from my doctor because she said, we're giving you meds. It's going to regulate the acid reflux, but now you got to go in and correct all of this muscle tension. So go to vocal therapy and go get massages, like try yoga. And I thought to myself, okay, the only thing that sounds worse than going into a hot room and sweating, which is what I assumed that yoga was. <laughs> right. I was like, okay, that's all it is, was not being able to sing. Yeah. And so that's yeah. the only reason. That the you op- were- yoga, what, what you're describing is the opposite of singing. It's quiet, right? Yeah. And, I, and I was the person space. who was who was kicked out of the ballet class because I would talk to people too much. So I was like, <laughs> this is not going to work. That's not going to work for me. <laughs> but were you actually told you couldn't talk or sing for six months? Yeah, so it was just that physically I, I couldn't and it hurt. So every time I would talk, it would hurt my, wow. my throat. Yeah. Wow. And uh, when I would try to sing, it would just like bring me to tears sometimes because it wouldn't sound the way that it had sounded for my whole life. Yeah. So yeah, it was vocal rest. You're not supposed to talk because if you talk, you can aggravate it and make it worse. I mean, I think if you think about if you had a, an ankle injury that the only rest, the only cure was rest. Yeah. You couldn't walk on, on it. it. Right. You know? Right. So right. I was supposed to like not put weight on my vocal cords essentially. So tell me about that, those six months when you're, you know, kind of retreating from, you know, singing and talking and being your, you know, jubilant self. What, what was happening with your studies, first of all, you know, during those months? What was happening in school? What were you focusing on? Well, my professors were shocked that I was not speaking in class <laughs> because I was always the one with my in the front row with my hand raised <laughs> asking questions. Um, and I just had to adapt. I mean, I would I gave my teachers notes that said, you know, I'm on vocal rest, I can't talk. And it's funny because in the conservatory world, like in art schools, people wear signs sometimes that says, I'm on vocal rest, and no one asks questions. Oh. But that's so not the case in normal life. You walk around with a sign like that, people look at you like, why are you right. not speaking? Right. <laughs> um, but I mean, it didn't really affect a lot of what I was studying in school. I was studying business, I was studying marketing, and I just couldn't really be as vocal as I normally was, mm-hmm. which in a lot of ways was actually a lesson for me because I talk a lot, and learning to listen is really mm-hmm. important. Right. So it was something I was forced into. And again, I was starting yoga at the same time. It was almost a perfect time mm-hmm. to not be able to talk. 
One of my questions for you was whether, when the doctor suggested yoga, was that for both um, the physical healing and the the mental emotional healing that you would have needed because you know someone just told you you can't do what you love to do. I think that it was both because I know that even if it hadn't had the side effects of of the mental, they would have asked me to do it because it's just stretching and releasing your vocal cords. But I had a really great doctor, and she you know, would talk to me every time that I would come in and like, how, you, how are you doing? You know, because yeah. it is, it's a it's an identity thing that right. you're almost feel like, am I going to lose this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the fact that she recommended it, it's, it's no kind of mystery why I connected with it so much at that moment. I mean, it was, it's a form of self-expression, which is something I, I didn't understand when I first went into it. But in hindsight, it's, it's another way to express yourself through creativity of your body, right? Or of your thought process. Journaling um, was something that I got into at the time. And those are all ways to connect to who you are as a creative person. And so uh, I think that she probably did do it for both, but it is so good for the physical aspect of it. Part of it's just like good luck that it happened to be something that was also good for the physical part. Yeah. Can you talk about, so your first class where, you know, you must have had an aha moment and thought, wow, there's more to this than I realized. So it's actually funny because the the moment that stands out to me from my first class is watching the girl behind me do a headstand and laughing (laughs) because I thought to my, I look at her doing this headstand and I just think to myself, I'm never going to do that, you know, (laughs) because I wasn't in there to do a handstand. I wasn't in there to do a headstand. I was in there to sing. And so I didn't care. I had no expectations of my performance, which ended up being amazing because in a perfect meditative world, you go in there trying to learn mindfulness, learn yoga, and you're supposed to drop all your expectations, right? So that was the defining moment for me. I look back and I see this girl doing a a headstand. I think that's never going to be me. And yet I came back the next day. And in that class, I was like, I can't wait to come back the next day. And there was just, it was more of a subtle, almost a pull. It sounds funny to say it, but it's like when you do something that you really enjoy and you just think, I can't wait to go back and do that again. I just happened to really (coughs) connect with the teacher that uh, that was teaching. And I just it was almost a curiosity. I was just going to use yeah. that word. As you're describing it, I'm looking at your face. I'm thinking you had this curiosity to know more. Yeah. You kept wanting to know a little bit more. Yes. Where was this going to take me? It was almost like that class showed me, wow, I have thought in a very specific way my whole life that I thought was kind of uniquely Anna's way of thinking. And as I came into this yoga practice and I had this great teacher and she was talking through all of these poses and then and then talking about, you know, and as you're breathing here and things are really hard, like notice how you're talking to yourself inside of your own head. And it was just these little cues that for me, I thought, wow, I'm not the only one who does this. Right. <laughs> and so it got me really excited and I I just had to learn more about it. And so I kept going back and and then the physical aspect of it just came as a result, right? On my third week there, I'm doing this pose where you're supposed to reach, you're in a lunge and one hand's reaching towards the floor and one hand's reaching towards the ceiling. And the first time that I did it, I'm thinking, what am I doing? Like, I didn't have awareness of my four limbs. I didn't have any of that. And then I come in week three and I just go right into the pose. And it's not beautiful and it's not perfect, but my body goes there. And so it's this physical representation of all the stuff that's going inside of your head that normally we don't have anything to kind of tie that to. 
So maybe we take it for granted or maybe we get lost in thinking, oh, I'm not getting better, I'm not getting better. But when you can see the results in your body that's tied to all this mental work you're doing, it's like, wow. When I show up on my mat and I just suck at this for like an hour, three days a week, it makes a big difference. Yeah. And I think that that really got me excited. Yeah. It, 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 it allows you to pay attention more, right, to your thoughts. Oh, yeah. And your beliefs and why and how you do things. I mean, they say that the way you do something on the mat is the way you do it everywhere, right? Mm. So if you're in a situation on your yoga mat where you're, you're being pushed past your limit, you start to notice, how do I react? Or maybe you cue a, a low lunge. Your teacher says low lunge. It happens t- five, ten times every class. And, you know, do you sink as far as you can into that lunge and try to be the person in the lowest lunge in the whole room so everybody can see you? Or maybe you you never really quite push yourself as far as you could. It's how do you react to these mm, situations on yeah. the mat? And then notice, how do I act in my life? Is this a mirror? Because most of the times it's going to be, right? Yeah. They're just our responses to inputs. And so when you start to have this way of kind of recognizing oh, this is how I react to this type of situation. This is how I react to that type of situation. It does so much mm. for your brain and, and your ability to take action. Yeah. Um, when I was looking at your website, doing a little homework, um, one of your mottos or statements is, happy people do great things. <laughs> yes. Why? So, I mean, I think that's intuitive for a lot of us, right? When we're in a good mood, it's easier to to do the things that we love. I mean, even sometimes when we're in a good mood, it's easier to make good decisions for ourselves. Like when we're feeling on the flip side, really bad, or like it's really raining out and we're kind of just feeling like we want to just be at home and do nothing. It's really easy to maybe like eat foods that are not as good for you or do this thing or that thing. But when you're feeling good and you're feeling up, there's something called the upward spiral of healthy behaviors. And when you're happy, it's easier to do these things. So that's kind of the intuitive part of it. But there's so much awesome research out there about how when your brain is functioning in a positive, when you're feeling positive versus neutral or negative, your productivity increases, your ability to focus increases. All these things start to increase because of just the the physiology of your brain in that moment. Mm. And so it's kind of a twofold thing. On one hand, we just get it. Like when we're happy at work, right? When we're happy with what we're doing in our job, when we're happy with the way that we're communicating in our office, when we're happy because our office has brought puppies in for a day or gives us <laughs> healthy food or gives us yoga classes, you know, we're going we're gonna to leave that place in a good mood and we're going to do our best work. And it also, you know, makes sense on a just a purely research-based level. When our brains are in this positive space, they function better. We have more energy. We're able to communicate more effectively with other people. So that's kind of where it comes from. Yeah, and you th- probably allows us to be more creative. Oh yeah, when we're, right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, think about anything that you do. Uh, for example, like on your show, or or if you're a listener, like anything that you do in your life that requires kind of energy and, and mental attention. If you're in a really good mood and you sit down to get something done, it seems so easy. Yeah, you know. It does. Yeah. And so that's kind of the, that's the feeling behind what's now backed up with all this research of when you put yourself in a situation where happiness is an option, you're going to be more productive. You're going to be more efficient. And maybe even you're just going to enjoy relaxing a little bit more, Mm. you know, being more aware. 
or be, <clears throat> excuse me, or being more relaxed in the work, mm-hmm. right? Not as tense and yes. anxious and worried. Right. Yeah. I mean, so we offer a lot more than just mindfulness and yoga with On The Goga, but one of the reasons that those are such a heavy focus of a lot of what we talk about is because yoga is like the perfect metaphor for all these things. When you're in a high plank pose on a yoga mat, I mean, just think about a push-up pose if you've never done yoga. When you're in a push-up pose and you're there, say you're there for five breaths and you're like, okay, this is a little bit harder than I thought it was going to be. And then you're there for 10 breaths and you're like, oh my God, I might die here. That's because you're stressed. <laughs> it's so much harder than yeah. it looks, I'm going to tell you. And it's funny yeah. because it's what happens is that our stress response kicks in. This physiological response that our bodies have that's helped our ancestors survive forever, you know, but that stress response is designed to tell you, oh my gosh, stop doing this or you might die. (laughs) But it's just yoga, right? right? And so when you're in that pose in yoga, that's when you start to breathe. That's when you start to practice listening to yourself, relaxing the muscles of your face. So when you practice that on the matter when you practice that in a mindfulness class just noticing okay i'm stressed right now this feels really bad and then think to yourself okay it doesn't have to feel better but maybe i can soften the muscles of my shoulders maybe i can soften the muscles of my face and it sounds so simple that it might not even sound worth doing but the crazy amazing thing to me is that when you look at how those physical actions then go back and affect your mind when you relax the muscles of your face, when you deepen your breath, it changes the thoughts that you're having. It changes the way that your mind is reacting to itself. You're telling yourself, right, I'm safe, I'm okay. And then your thoughts start to change and then your feelings start to change and then your mood starts to change. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting. (laughs) Okay, so it's one thing to discover yoga, do it, enjoy it, love it. It it makes you feel better, you know, you're, doing all of your work at a, at a much better um, momentum, I'll say. It's another thing to decide, I am now going to take this newfound love of yoga and start a company. That takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage. <laughs> so starting out as a mindfulness and wellness company in this climate of competition, right? Because there's so much talk and, and things are happening left and right in this field. Um, what was your mentality for, I'm going to go into this, and, and but I'm going to be different. We're going to be different from what's out there. Yeah. So my mentality was my just innate kind of mission statement, my personal mission statement is to help people see themselves and the world around them more positively through creative expression. And at the time that I decided to start on the Goga, I was working at a music festival company in the city. And I was their digital marketing uh, manager, and I was doing, you know, office work around the music industry. But I wasn't using creative expression really to help people see themselves in the world around them more positively. And it was almost not a choice of I'm going to do this, but a decision of I have to do this. <laughs> like I have to, I have to figure out a way, whether it's singing, whether it's this or whether it's that, to help other people feel like they're capable of anything or that the world around them can be positive even when bad things are happening. And so Is that because that happened for you and you just wanted that f- 
for others? I think that's just something that I've always connected with. I think I, I'm from a young age, I was always, I loved creativity. So whether that was being really bad at, you know, art, which I always was like, I can't even really draw stick figures or singing or, um, which I was good at, which I love to do or acting or just like, I would make um, menus for my parents when I was young and like bring them out at, to their guests for dessert and have them be like, these are our options for dessert. And I would like design these things. I don't know. It was just always... <laughs> <laughs> something to make people happy, something to make people smile, something to make people realize that in this moment, you can be okay. Even mm. if the next moment's going to be hard. That. Oh, I love that. So I think that was just something I always really kind of drove me. I, I, It brought me a lot of joy to see other people have that switch in their mind when you're having a bad day. Maybe like when you're having a bad day and you walk down the street and you see someone else smiling really big and you just think to yourself, oh, that's nice. You know, even if everything else about your day has been bad. Somebody's having yeah. a good time. And so I think that shift in people, helping people to have that epiphany of like, oh my God, I can do something. That was just something that really inspired me. So when I started this company, I was really just like in love with yoga, realizing that other people were feeling the way that I felt before I started. I can't do this. I'm not athletic. I haven't been in shape in forever. This isn't for me. I'm never going to change, mm. right? That was a big thing for me that yoga taught me that change doesn't come from having a brilliant idea and doing something. Change comes from having the smallest possible idea and doing anything. Mm. So I think that when I started this, I was just looking around for ways to help people connect with this feeling that I had gotten through yoga. So I started on the yoga, yoga that comes to you. So if you don't wanna go to a, a yoga studio, like I didn't really wanna go to a yoga studio, we'll come to your house. And so we did private yoga, group yoga, parties, and we went into some offices. So it started really, you just thought to yourself, I'm going to make it easier for people and I'm gonna bring this experience to them. Exactly. You, you didn't go right to, you know, I'm gonna start a company where we take these classes into other companies and, you know, help employees and executives and bottom yes no that that came from the yoga right because so I'm coming in to all these places I'm, I'm helping people in their homes I'm, and I'm coming into companies and yoga is about noticing what's there not what you expect to be there so I get into these companies and I'm doing yoga maybe some mindfulness because I'm starting to realize oh sometimes you say yoga and people are already you know 30 miles away down the street because they don't want to talk to you about right. yoga. They're like, right. not for me. And I'm like, I feel you. I get you. This is me. I was me. there. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, then I'm looking around at corporate wellness, which is what I'm being sold as. And looking into all these things that are happening, like you're saying, all this competition, all these different things. And what I'm seeing is that there is a disconnect here between what some of these programs are selling and what people really are getting and what people really need. Mm. And so what I started to notice was, wow, what I could provide with my services and by bringing in amazing teachers and other therapies like massage or uh, communication, leadership, even you know space design and people who deal with animals and people who love nature is we can bring in true experiences that help people have that feeling in their day of that change of I was feeling this way and now I'm feeling this way and having that experience over and over and over again to realize wow I'm in control of my life and spurring this kind of 
personal growth. Mm -hmm. And so that's where this kind of concept of on the goga in its current form came is we bring customized culture driven wellness to employers on site who are focused on making their employees feel cared about and supported. And all of the things we do, just like a yoga class, it's all education-based, right? So our cooking class is not someone coming in and telling you how if you don't juice kale, like you're probably going to die early because it's just <laughs> not true and no one wants to juice kale. Right. So <laughs> the, right. what we do is we come in and we say, hey, here's a mason jar and here's how to fill it with a bunch of awesome ingredients that'll make you these overnight oats that you can leave in the kitchen fridge today and have tomorrow for lunch. Or we'll have a financial mindset class that isn't about here's all the things you should be doing to cut back on your savings. It's like, what do you love? What are your personal values? And here's some tips that you can do to budget so that you're spending money in a way that makes you your happiest person. And we go into companies and we just deliver these almost little yoga lessons, right? Mm. And call them whatever you want. I mean, we call them corporate wellness classes. We call them this, but what they are are opportunities for people during their work day where employers, you know, you, you want people to be happy, you want people to be productive and you want people to feel cared about. That's a big thing, you know, especially with millennials jumping from job to job, like create a space where people feel like they're growing as people. And they stay. And they stay. And they stay. And they don't, they don't just stay, but they enjoy being there. Yeah. They create community, which makes other people want to stay and they do their best work. Yeah. And that's why happy people do great things is, is our guiding principle because when we're creating these programs, we're creating these programs that, you know, at the end of the day, they're they're gonna save your company money in recruiting. You're gonna be able to get better employees at your company. It's going to boost productivity. It's going to eventually lower healthcare costs as you really truly teach people how to fish, right? And it's also just gonna be a wonderful experience. I mean, who doesn't wanna go into work and feel like, wow, this place that I commit, you know, my most of my waking hours to is doing things to give back to me. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Listen, we're going to take a quick break uh, for our sponsors. When we come back, I want to hear more about, you know, the actual business behind your company and what you say to skeptics. Yes. Okay, (laughs) we'll be right back. This is Kristen Hillsley, financial advisor of the Foley Hillsley Group, with a big announcement. Last fall, I hosted a women's lifestyle conference to help the women who do it all take control of their finances. Now I'm excited to announce a new partnership with Women to Watch Media to help show women how to own their financial future. We'll have newsletter articles, blog posts, announcements of live events, and a lot more, all available at womentowatch.net and our own website, foleyhillsleygroup.com. I'm thrilled about this new partnership, and I look forward to being your resource for all things financial. Stay tuned to learn more or visit our website at FoleyHillsleyGroup.com. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, member SIPC. Log on to FoleyHillsleyGroup.com to learn more. That's F-O-L-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y Group.com. Or call 610-238-6636. 
Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Women to Watch on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco. I often forget to introduce myself. Um, And I'm joined this afternoon by Anna Greenwald, who is the founder and CEO of On the Go Go. Um, It's a local company here in Philadelphia, uh, really smart and timely and in a very um, great space. So just before the break, you were talking about, um, you know, a little bit about why companies would be interested. What what does this program that you bring to them do? And I just think that there's still skeptics out there. I think more men than women. I think women just intuitively are more in touch with their feelings and wanting to better themselves than men. So I want to know what, if you're um, proposing or pitching to a company that you want to bring this there and and the men at this business are saying, you know, we don't need that. We just want our employees working, doing the job, and they don't necessarily need this kind of service to better themselves. You know, how do you speak to them and address that? So that's a great question. I think that First of all, the skeptics in the crowd come from all over the place, including, you know, myself before I started practicing <laughs> yeah, You are yoga. a skeptic. Yeah. Yeah. Because so for me, even with mindfulness, you know, someone can talk to me all day about, oh, do mindfulness this, do mindfulness that. It wasn't until I sat down and looked at the research of what's occurring in my brain when this happens. What is What are the results of this that I started to actually begin to buy in and think to myself, oh, this is more than the placebo effect. Something's really changing here. Mm. So what I would say is there's the way that we approach it with companies is is multifaceted. So the first thing that we really look at is employee experience and engagement. So when you're at work, right, I think it's some some set 87% of the workforce is actively disengaged. And wow, yeah, that's a high number. Yeah, or is actively disengaged or passively disengaged. So they're coming to work, they're trying to do their best, but they're kind of not really excited excited about it, about it right? right? Yep. And so those are the times when you're sitting on your phone and browsing through Instagram when maybe you should be doing something for your manager that they asked you to do and and you know someone walks into the store and you could be making a sale to them but instead you kind of wait for them to talk to you just because you maybe aren't invested for one reason or another. Yep. So the first thing is simply employee <laughs> engagement. I think that especially, you know, I'm a millennial and especially the millennial generation. We want to be engaged. We want our employers to say to us, hey, here, here's why you're here, and we're glad you're here, and here are the tools and resources we're gonna give you to, to do the work that you need to do. So a lot of what we do with the wellness events on-site, that's why we come on-site. It's not a portal that someone has to log into and they get a sticker because they lost 20 pounds, you know? <laughs> they, it's, yeah. We come on-site and we, the first thing that we do with our company is we just talk to teams. We actually just listen. 
right? That's what we talked about earlier. That's great. You know, and it's listening is such an important part of of our process. What so, is your culture here? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, asking the leadership, what are you trying to create here? Because this goes beyond healthcare premiums. This goes into organizational development. This goes into where do you want to be? Do you want to be a top place to work in Philadelphia? How can we help you get there? And then we talk to teams and we say, so what would make your day at work better, right? What would make you really happy here? What would allow you to do your best job? Maybe, you know, we have a, an accounting company where people say, you know, it's busy season and there's just no time in the day and I want to be healthy and I want to do things that are good for me, but I don't have time. I get in early in the morning. I leave late at night. I'm here six days a week. So maybe we bring in fitness classes on site or maybe we give specific mindfulness tools for helping people to manage in those stressful times, you know, the way that they manage their workload, the way that they make time and space for self-care. So and then we might have another company where people are really just interested in, okay, when I'm on site, I want to have access to chair massages, or I want to have one community event every month where I get to actually talk to my coworkers because I'm always plugged in and have my headphones mm. on. Yeah, that's a so, big issue. Yeah, yeah. So engagement is a huge part of it. And when you can get your team engaged, when you can get your team really feeling excited to come to work, then that starts to kind of bleed into the second part of what we focus on, which is recruitment. So we call ourselves sometimes HR for millennials because when you're trying to recruit top talent, young top talent, you need to differentiate differentiate yourself in the market. And we're a Philly-based company, 100%. There are a lot of companies that are doing awesome things, especially out on the West Coast, mm -hmm. really have the culture and everything down and created these wonderful environments. And there's a lot of companies in, in Philly specifically that are wanting to do all of that stuff. A lot of them uh, have some really great cultures have it down already. And there's a lot that are wanting to get there, but need some help to really drive those initiatives forward. So what does it do when you have a great culture? Well, when you have a millennial who's looking between two job offers and they're thinking, well, here's a company that, yeah, maybe I'm going to be paid a couple thousand dollars more every year. But at this company, they have yoga on site every week and they have healthy catered lunches once a week. And they, you know, have community and team building events, opportunities for leadership. Leadership trainings are a huge reason why millennials choose jobs. You know, when you can provide those things as part of your benefits package, mm -hmm. that is something that makes people choose your company yeah. and drives people towards becoming a top workplace. That's why we've partnered with uh, a survey company called Energage that does uh, the top workplace surveys in Philadelphia. So our, our clients can take these surveys and be entered into that ranking to really start to actually get themselves on the map as the top place to work, but also to use that information to guide. All right, great. So here's what we're doing really well. And here's what we can add to and improve on to make our workplace even better. And then that starts to bring an engagement. That's why we do photos on site, videos for recruiting, and we help companies to kind of drive that forward. And the final part is just happiness, right? Yeah. Like all yeah. of the happiness advantage is an amazing book by yeah. Sean Aker, who's a Harvard researcher. Uh, and it's a book about essentially when you give people the tools to cultivate their own happiness, that starts to produce better outcomes all across the board for every industry in business, education, everything. And one of the things that I love about the concept of the happiness advantage is that what it does is it says, you know, a lot of the times we have this belief that, oh, when I am successful in this and I do this right, then I'll be happy. 
or when my team's doing this and everything's going smoothly, then they won't be stressed out and then they'll be happy. But it's actually reversed. When you create and cultivate an environment where people can create their own happiness and create their own joy. And that doesn't always mean being in a good mood, but it means a place where you feel like you're fulfilling a purpose that resonates with you and that you're being supported to do that. That's what drives success. Those companies outperform in all different types of ways. So recruitment, engagement, and happiness are the way that, that we approach it. That's a little different than maybe other wellness companies in the space. Mm -hmm. The only other thing I would say uh, is kind of our operational approach. We're totally comprehensive. So yeah, we offer yoga, but we also offer mindfulness, nutrition, ergonomics, chiropractic, massage, uh, team building, leadership training. So you're affiliated with a lot of other organizations and you all come together and depending on the needs of the company. Exactly. So we do a lot in-house. So one of our things is that we have looked around to get top trainers in all of these different areas that can do these as part of our program. And then if we don't do it and it's what the company needs, then we concierge it. So that's the whole first part of our program is the discovery session is figuring out what do you need? Mm -hmm. And then anything that we can't deliver for you, we'll help you figure out how to do it. Okay, that's great. You know, I would say that, you know, the people that don't understand the importance of this would be older generations. I mean, I don't. I hate to kind of paint that broad brush, but I would imagine that really, the, because generations prior, you know, there was no talk about this, right? The wellness and, and taking care of your employees so that they are most productive for you. It's just so smart. It makes so much <laughs> sense. It's not silly, right? But I, you know, what do you say to people that say they just don't have the time in the day to do, they're doing their job yeah. and there's no time to, you know, step out of the office and focus on one of these uh, one of these programs. That's exactly why we exist, actually. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it's because no one has a lot of the times it's not for lack of understanding. A lot of companies get this because if you look up any type of research about what types of wellness really works in an office, it's culture driven, education education driven, customized wellness programming. That's the, the forefront of what everyone's talking about. And so people are already on this train. People in Philly are already on this train. We want this. We want to create it. And whether it's an amazing HR professional or a small business owner or a CEO or just a wellness committee, the number one complaint is, I don't have time to do all of mm-hmm. this. Because I can tell you from doing it all day every day, it takes a lot of time. You have to do internal communications. You have to plan what vendors you're going to have. You yeah. have to make it Somebody all Somebody has to be managing it. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's, that's why we exist. Because... Yeah. This is hard, but it's it's possible. And so what we try to do is provide the resources for these companies to do it in a way that feels like it's part of their company. Yeah. You know, we come in and we match your culture. We we do all these things and and I say that, you know, we do that, but that's really what what everyone who's looking for a corporate wellness program should be looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be looking for a program that is embedded into the culture of your company so that if you're offering a healthy workshop at lunch, you're not serving breakfast in the morning that's donuts, right? Maybe you're partnering with a healthy caterer that brings in amazing food that matches that. So you're creating this health culture. Maybe you're an environmentally focused company. Well, then your wellness program might be heavily environmentally focused. It might be recycling and a community garden and outdoor walks. Or maybe you're a super fitness focused company. And then your wellness program can be you know, on-site classes for fitness and gym memberships and helping people to get personal training and all of that stuff. So it's really about figuring out what is your culture 
what are the people who work at your company want? What's and then, important to yeah, them? Yeah, yep. and then how to deliver it. And then if you, you know, that's why that's why I created on the Goga in this iteration is like we're here to help do right. that because. You know, we we'd look at it in the same way that we'd look at training an individual person in yoga. We want them to feel so supported through this process that if we vanished in a cloud of smoke, they wouldn't feel like, oh, my gosh, my yoga teacher's gone. I can never do yoga again. <laughs> they'd feel like, wow, that was such a great teacher. I feel like this is my program and that I have autonomy over this. And I still don't want you to leave because you make it so easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> empowering, empowering people right? yeah. to do it themselves. So if, if you're just tuning in, I'm, I'm with Anna Greenwald uh, today, founder and CEO of On The Go-Go. Go-Ga. 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 <laughs> I want to talk about branding. So if there's someone listening, particularly a young millennial, and she has an aspiration to start her own business, and it can be in any field, doesn't have to be in this health and wellness or yoga, um, it's really important to create your brand and your, you know, your logo and your everything that, that um, speaks to your company and who you are, your own story, why you're different. Who helped, what was your first step in doing that, I'll say? And did somebody help you with that? Or did that creativity come from you alone? So uh, I, I did all of our initial branding. Um, I've actually done all of our branding up to this point. We're actually doing a website revamp that's going to come out in the next few days, which is a oh, lot great. of me okay, sitting good. behind the computer. You that's know. a big deal. Yeah. Anytime you're redoing a website, that's a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah, and a lot of work. Now, now in the process, we have help along the way. Like We good. work with designers and we work with people who this is really their job. But from the start, this was honestly one of my secret you know, ingredient X to launching this business because the first website that we had looked like it belonged to a company, not a 22 year old sitting behind her computer, you know? And so the, the advice I would give anyone out there who's thinking, I have a business, I want to start it is there's an element of the, you know, fake it till you make it that pertains to branding specifically, in my opinion. I don't think that that necessarily is the best advice in every aspect of it, but when you're talking about branding, create branding for the company that you want to have in five mm. years. You know, Vision that out. What are the colors that you want to use? What are the fonts? What do you want people to feel when they look at it? Look at other companies that you admire and look. ask yourself those questions about them. There's a lot of resources online about you know, branding and, and the psychology of branding and what it means and what makes good branding. And here are some examples. Go just pour through that. Find the brands that you love and ask yourself, why do I love these brands? And then think to yourself, what is your company, right? What is your mission? How do you want to make people feel? And then the final step in that is not just going on and then making this branding because you think that that's what people are going to buy. It's coming back in and saying, okay, now does this brand, does this vision really resonate with what I believe in. Because at the end of the day, I think that the number one thing that's gonna make your branding look amazing, that's gonna make your sales pitches sound great, that's gonna make your product as good as it can be, is that you really care about it. And you believe in it. And you believe and in you it. Believe yeah, in it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so my personal mission statement is to help people see themselves and the world around them more positively through creative expression. That is very in line with on the go. And Go-Go. very clear and simply yeah. stated, which I, is really important. Yeah, I think there's a great book out there called Grit by Angela Duckworth. I believe that's how you say her last name. She's a professor at Penn. And it's all about 
how to bring success for yourself, not through talent, not through all these words that we use that we think we are prerequisites for where we need to be. It's just about putting in the, the practice. You know, they call it a yoga practice, not a yoga perfect. You just have to get out there and practice. And so, you know, in that book, she talks about, think about a statement that would make sense for you, a personal mission statement. It doesn't matter what you're doing, right? So for me, that personal mission statement, I could be singing, I could be teaching a yoga class, I could be helping someone start their own business, I could be doing a million different things, and that still applies. So I would say, look out there to all the resources of the branding, uh, you know, education that's out there. Look out there to Squarespace, these templates that are beautiful that you can kind of fill in your own content with and create the branding for the company you want in five years and then take a step back and say, does this align with my personal mission statement? And if it does, then you're on the right track. Yeah. And it's going to evolve over time. That's true. First of all, that's really great advice. <laughs> and I think it's important to, I think people can get overwhelmed with, you know, when you're just starting out and you're trying to create this this brand and you are looking around at other places you start kind of mimicking that's the last thing you want to do so while you're looking around you're, you're doing that for inspiration but at the end of the day you just need to sit and be quiet what feels right to me right what speaks to my original story and mission and then be able to state that very simply i think when we you know we talk to a lot of young people that are entrepreneurs and want to start new businesses and you know we'll say well what is it what, what is your business? And sometimes they can't state exactly what it is. So it's very important to be clear as you, you know, tell me your mission statement again. I want you to say that again, what, oh, so, you, what you do. So my personal mission statement is to help people see themselves and the world around them more positively through creative expression. Right. That's my personal mission statement. Right. But if someone were to say to you, what is On The Go-Go? What is that? Yeah, so yeah. On The Go-Go brings culture-driven wellness programs to Philadelphia's top workplaces. There you go. Yeah. So that's actually, if, if, if you're out there and you're a young woman or a person of any age, really, and you're thinking, I want to start my own business, there's something called a, a unique selling proposition, which is like one of these, you know, startup terms, whatever. I think it's a brilliant exercise. It's a practice. All of this is a practice. For me, it's tied right back to yoga. You write out in a long paragraph everything you think that your company does. Next step is you cross out half the words in that paragraph. The next step is that you rewrite the paragraph based on half of the original paragraph. Then you go through and turn that into three sentences. Then you go and turn that into one sentence. And it might take you a week or two weeks to do something like this. But you come at the end to the simple version of what you do. Right. And yeah. that for me is really I just love that. I just I think it's <laughs> I just think it's so fun. That is one of my most favorite things yeah. to do. When someone hands me a page and I say, I can make this one sentence. Yeah. Give that to me right now. I want to do that. I and love simplifying you know, words. When it's Paragus. your baby, like when it's your project, it's one of the hardest things to do as well. It is because you want to say so much. And you, you do. think that you, say. you think and I, I still have this syndrome, and I'm sure I'll have it for the rest of my life in some form or another, but you think that you always have to say everything. Mm -hmm. But the thing about a great product is that you just really need to give the important points. Mm -hmm. People are going to understand the rest. If you're really delivering a great service or a great product, you don't have to spell out everything for people. Let people have, it's like a great song. 
let people have their own interpretation of it. Yes, what a great analogy. That's a great analogy. You don't have to describe what the whole song is about. Yeah. Right? Just sing the song, yeah. you know? Sing and people Love people that. will get it. And yeah. the other thing you have to remember is if you're a musician taking that metaphor a step further, the songs that you write when you're first starting out are going to sound totally different mm. than the songs that you write when, you know, on your deathbed. That's but, right. That's the evolution. Right. That, and yeah. looking back, you're, you're going to look at those original songs and uh, the same way I look at my, my original website or the poems I wrote when I was like eight. <laughs> and I like, oh, a little cringeworthy. <laughs> but, but then I think what mindfulness and yoga is giving me is this perspective to look at that and then be like, that is awesome. Yeah. Because I say to people all the time when they're like, and I want to start yoga, where do I start? I'm so unflexible. I'm so bad at this. I'm so, you know, I say the first day on your yoga mat where you're messing everything up and you have no idea what's happening is the exact same thing as the last day you'll ever have on your yoga mat in the most advanced version of your practice. It's just a different step along that path. Mm. Lao Tzu says, you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And to me, that is the embodiment of yoga is that the willingness to take a single step with the the trust that if you just keep walking, you're gonna get somewhere. And if you're looking around while you're doing that, you're gonna get somewhere that you wanna go. Yeah. And so I think that that's important too uh, when you're starting your own businesses, just try. You'll get feedback. You'll get great feedback, you'll get negative feedback, and you'll grow. And the the, the process of starting a business is no different than the process of learning a yoga pose. You just have to show up and suck at what you're doing for three weeks and then six months and then nine months and eventually you'll look back and think I couldn't even touch my toes to start and now I'm doing a headstand mm. now now I'm the girl in the yoga class doing the handstand <laughs> listening to the person behind me laughing and thinking you'll get there yeah all you have to do is show up it's so true that you're at the right place at the right time you just need to be there that's such a simple you know, thought, but so very true. So it doesn't matter what, how you're doing it in that moment, you're there and you're meant to be there. I think a lot of us are taught, you know, oh, if you're not good at it, get out, get off the field. Well, that's that whole perfection mentality. It's the talent mentality. Um, It's the idea that when we're, if we're good at something, we should do it. If we're going to be great at something, we'll have a natural, you know, inclination towards it. But yeah, yeah. you just have to. Yeah. yeah, you just have to do it. Just you just do have to it. practice. Just do it. Um, listen, it was a great show. You are amazing and wonderful, and you're a bright light. And I'm so happy Thank that you, you came so in and shared your story. Me. Thanks, Anna. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Have a great week and drive safely. No one else can speak.